This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 7, Episode 49. This is Writing Excuses, Beginnings Revisited. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. And I'm ready to start again. Okay. We wanted to do a podcast on beginnings. It's been a quite a long time. And before when we talked about beginnings, we basically said in laid out early. Um, we want to do a podcast where we sh- just may- assume you know what we mean by that. If not, go listen to the podcast that talked about it. Um, that it is very important to begin your beginning in the right place. But let's talk about the other aspects of a beginning. What is important and vital to a beginning? So we've covered in the right place. Yes. Now let's cover with the right stuff. Exactly. I should have let you introduce this. Uh, That's pithy. (laughs) The one trick this one trick pony knows. And and this is why it's important to plan your beginnings before starting. Before actually starting. (laughs) There we go. Thank you very much. All right. So what are the things that need to be in that right place? Well, one of the things that you need to be doing with your beginning is establishing tone. Okay. Right. Um, This is a very big one, particularly for newer writers. Now, understand your beginning you can go fix. Don't mm-hmm. stress too much about your beginning, but we're going to assume, you know, your story is finished. You, and now you're looking back at your beginning. You've got it starting in the right place. Tone is vital. I have a good friend um, who submitted a story, a middle grade story, um, out to editors, and they were loving the first chapters. He was getting all kinds of responses. They wanted the whole book. And then they would get the whole book and say, oh, Right. This isn't actually... Okay, we're passing. And it was that the opening chapters were about this clumsy boy doing silly things. And it was, had this ridiculous tone. And then he went on a serious fantasy adventure with a somewhat dark tone. And they kept saying, we, we, we like the clumsy boy story. That's right. what we have a slot for. Mm-hmm. We don't have a slot for, you know, right now. Or we're not the right person for dark, epic adventure with, with a middle grade protagonist. You know, yeah. in uh, in in terms of establishing establishing tone and establishing setting, uh, David Brin's existence, which is full of big ideas and interesting mm-hmm. characters and settings all over the globe, he had to start that book somewhere uh, in order to tell us. I mean, he has to start the book in such a way that it sets the tone for the whole piece, and so he starts us with a uh, garbage collector in orbit using a magnetic lasso to pull things, to pull space Mm -hmm. debris out of orbit, and he has a monkey as a companion. And in doing this, I mean, the chapter's got a monkey in it. I'm Mm -hmm. sold. But in doing this, he sets up uh, all kinds of technological pieces and sociological pieces, and and it's, it's really, really fascinating and well done. And it's also compelling because the piece of junk that, gets pulled in, you know, that's our first contact moment right. in chapter one, sets the tone for the whole book, but it also sets out, lays all of these pieces for these technologies that you're going to see throughout the story. Right. When we say tone in this manner, we aren't talking about, you know, like the literary professor say, the tone and... Uh, right. No. We're talking about kind of the simple meanings of tones. Mm-hmm. Is this going to be an action-adventure story? Is this going to be a romantic story? Is this going to be a political intrigue? Is it going to be funny? How funny is it going to be? Um, All of these things are, you know, we talk a lot about hooks. 
These are more important than your hook. These are promises you're making yes. to your yeah. reader. One, one trick that you will see used constantly is, is one that I call the Ice Monster Prologue based on the Game of Thrones. Okay, you know, yes. That is a book about, it's an epic fantasy, it has you know, magic in it, it has this big long story, but you know, the story starts you know, with the Starks in their little castle, and it takes him several chapters to get to the, you know, to the really right. meat, and it takes him like hundreds of pages to get to any of the magic. Right. So what he does is he starts with a prologue with other characters where you see one of the White Walkers. You see this scary right. ice monster. And that tells you exactly what kind of book it's going to be. And it promises that there will eventually be magic. So you're on board and you're ready to sit through the, the early stuff. Right. Which, and the other thing he does, George Martin is a really, really good writer. Mm-hmm. Prologue, very short and sweet and mm-hmm. does this. Yeah. Immediately goes into a trial where a boy is watching his father, who's the Lord, execute a man that he's pretty sure doesn't deserve to be executed. And mm-hmm. knows his father is pretty sure, but he's following the law. Sets up, this is going to be a story full of moral quandaries. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. going to be a story about a family. It's going to be a story about a man who upholds his principles, even when his principles may be wrong, and they have dire consequences. And all of those things are set up in the first few scenes. And the one of the people being executed is the guy who saw the White Walker out in the... Yeah. Yeah. Um, another place you'll see this is Star Wars. Mm-hmm. It's a movie about exciting space adventure. But right. the first half hour of it is Little Farm Boy in a Desert. Right. Yeah. So they start with a prologue that's a space battle mm-hmm. to promise you what kind of story it's going to be. Now, this is dangerous. This is dangerous because the prologue in sci-fi fantasy has become a cliche unto itself. Um, and, you know, you, you have to have the prologue. And a lot of these start to feel very generic to me. The prologue is the exciting hook, and so everyone kind of does it the same way. It, st- it started to worry me a lot as a writer about how, yeah. how much we're kind of falling into this trap. Yeah, and I think that a lot of people are moving away from that. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, you can, you can do all of these things, yeah. particularly in short form. Mm-hmm. You can do all of these things without needing that extra yeah. prologue there are times when the story structure demands it but i think like most things you should only do it when the story structure right. demands exactly. it. exactly yeah and there are great reasons to do it just don't take it for granted that you have to do it mm-hmm. yeah um, and see if you can find a way to solve it without doing it before you go there uh, the other thing that we've been kind of talking around is besides the the tone the that you need to establish setting mm-hmm. um because there are very few things that you experience as a person where you don't know where you are. And it's right. disorienting for a reader if they don't know where and when they are. Okay, yeah. You know, in, uh, uh, if I can reference, uh, you know, one week ago, two, I guess it was two weeks ago when we talked about uh, uh, brainstorming Mary's episode, or mm-hmm. Mary's story with the, uh, you know, sailing to where you can finally see the moon. Um, a few short sentences in the very beginning, uh, you know, Sarah stood on the deck of the ship and watched as the horizon, you know, the, the sea uh, became a wall of flame or yeah. something. And so you evoke that imagery and you draw us in. So now we're seeing something, we're experiencing, you know, she thinks, she feels like, oh, it's flame. Wow, the, 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 the myths are true. We're, we're experiencing this with her. And then it gets taller and taller and taller. And then it turns round. Mm-hmm. And as that, as that experience happens... You know, right. you're drawing us in just visually, right. just with a picture. You're painting See, one picture. I'm going to add to that character because um, just one potential thing to do. 
picture is great. What you just described is awesome. I want it to evoke character too. I want her to be saying, no, the sea is not on fire, I promise you. Because she's leaving religious intolerance. And so we can snap into a bit of scientific clarity or something. No, we're going to be okay. Everyone else is like, we're going to be on fire. She's like, no. And she's waiting, and then it becomes the moon or something like that. And no, see, it's there's... not that she thinks it's on fire. She yeah. thinks she's sailing towards land where oh, people are. right. She thinks it's land. She thinks it's land. Yeah. She thinks it's land with artificial light. Yeah, she thinks sorry. it's something. Wait, sorry, it's, we're, we're yeah. about to hold deviate there because I'm <laughs> s sitting here scribbling notes yes. for this story. And well, then, the uh, other, yeah. now, Brandon, you know, when I, at first I described it as, yeah. you know, just the visuals. The mm -hmm. other, I say the other, as if there's only two ways to do this. Another way to do this is to paint the picture through the dialogue of the characters. Mm -hmm. As one of the characters screams, oh my gosh, the sky is on fire, or you know, the horizon well, see, is on fire. Yeah, I think you should be doing both of these things. Yes, and I, I think that there's very few cases where you should start with dialogue. Um, that, that opening with dialogue, the number of times in which you will hear a line of dialogue without having anything else grounded yeah. is incredibly rare, and it's, it's really disorienting for a reader, I personally think. Now, there are cases when you t can do it and, and it works really well. I mean, the opening to Ender's Game is a, you know, a solid half page of nothing but dialogue and no description at all. white room. Mm -hmm. it, and there are times and places that you can do this, but... but I did it in Hollow City specifically because it was disorienting. Yes, and, and that is one of the cases, you know, know what it does. Right. Though, I mean... There are variations to this. Yes. The sky's on fire, Sarah yelled as she stood upon the deck of the sh you know. I mean, you can, you can give both, but what I was saying is, ideally on first page, you should be able to establish setting and character. Yes. And theoretically some, some amount of plot. We're going to stop for book of the week. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. We'll get back into this. So Book of the Week is The Green Glass Sea by Ellen Clages. Uh, this is a YA book. Um, and it's uh, Ellen is a Nebula Award winning short story writer. She's amazing. And this particular book is about a girl whose father is part of a super secret project in 1943 uh, in Los Alamos. Okay. Uh, which is, of course, the Manhattan Project. Yes. Um, and 
at the beginning of the book, she doesn't know that. All she knows is that they're moving away, they're moving far away to New Mexico, and and it follows her through the course of the Manhattan Project and her understanding that this is a moment when the world changes. And since we are talking about beginnings, I'm just going to read you the first paragraph. Okay, go for it. Dewey Kerrigan sits on the front... Excuse me. Dewey Kerrigan sits on the concrete front steps of Mrs. Kovac's house in St. Louis waiting for her father. He is in Chicago, war work, and she has not seen him since the 4th of July. It's almost Thanksgiving now. She looks towards the corner every few seconds. Okay. It sets tone. It gives you an idea of character... And and it certainly gives you the idea that this book is going to be fairly literary in style. Excellent. Um, but I love these books. Yeah. Um, and they can get a book. copy by ah, going... Audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. You can start a 30-day free trial membership. Download... The Green Glass Sea by Ellen Clages. For free. And uh, pick up another title for 30% off. All right. So, we've talked about tone. We've talked about establishing character and setting. Um, are there other things we need to do? Because I've got one. You Go dive in. Conflict. Motion. Oh, yes. Motion. Motion. Yeah. Something needs to be changing in your first scene, I would suggest. Um, and this is, this is something I reinforce to new writers a lot because a lot of new writers, writers say, okay, I can establish setting. And you know what? They can. Mm-hmm. I get 10 yep. pages of setting about this village life in this opening scene, you need to have something changing. It doesn't necessarily need to be conflict, though it's good if it is. Someone should be going somewhere. Some, someone should be changing emotionally. Something should be happening in these opening scenes. It shouldn't be static. You're not painting a picture of still life. At risk of picking up the stick and swinging it at the dead horse again, yeah. I think that is the crux of in late, out early, mm-hmm. is you find the moment where things are changing, and that's where you start telling the story. Right. Uh, and you want to tell a story about the change and establish setting and some character and, and stuff you know like what? that. But You uh, don't have to make it the change that's going to be your entire book. Um, if you're using it, if we, we can use some films again. For instance, Indiana Jones, the first Indiana Jones movie. You, you, he's a, there's, you're establishing that this is going to be an adventure story and this is our main character. And this isn't the actual plot in this opening vignette that's going to be the plot of the whole show. But what it's doing is there's motion. It's mm-hmm. not, let's talk about who Indiana Jones is. It is, right. let's show you Indiana Jones in his element doing what he does. And right. then we go back and he's a professor for a little while. It's just that same sort of concept. We're going to have this. And you should be looking at doing this. Have motion that shows your character changing in some way or at least going somewhere and doing what it is they do. Remember, a lot of stories we talked about you know, are going to be you know, the same thing has been happening every day. Show us that thing happening. It's okay if it's the same thing that's happened every day to the character. It should be new to us and there can be motion to it. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with that, and I think closely tied to that is the idea of a question, mm. that you should be establishing a question and trying to uh, spark curiosity in your readers. Right. Um, and that question can sometimes be a question that the character has, and sometimes it can be a question that the reader has, and they don't. sometimes it can be both, and they don't necessarily have to be the same question. Right, right, exactly. What else do we start a story with? Dan, come on. I... I go for, I, I'm always looking for something that is uh, fascinating, that is interesting. Uh, I mean, it's not just, factor. 
Uh, okay, yeah, the Gee Whiz. Yeah, I, yeah. I, the, I, the strange attractor. Uh, one of my favorites was um, from from my own work, and obviously, you know, I get to draw pictures, so uh, I can cheat. I can put, I can have an establishing shot that's got something interesting happening, and it was. Uh, um, I, I can't even I can't remember which of my books it was. Might have been the body politic, where the uh, the opening scene we're looking at Jupiter and right. there's conversation taking place. And as you scroll down, they're having this conversation about the resonance mining of Io, mm -hmm. and you see a broken shell of one of Jupiter's moons right. in orbit about Jupiter, and that was just fun. The right. idea that that well, you know what we broke a we broke a moon because whoops and it was kind of a throwaway <laughs> right it was kind of a throwaway but it's it establishes that this is big epic space opera big technology science fiction yeah. um along those lines if there are rules of physics or rules mm -hmm. of the natural world that you are going to violate in this story that you need to set up at the beginning that it is not the same world yeah you do i mean that's part of the setting but in particular you need to you need to let us know right up front, which right. is why that magic scene the the uh, the mm -hmm. um, in Game of Thrones. Thank right. you. Well, and we also let's let's push back a little bit here. Remember learning curve. Mm. Remember that you don't need to introduce us to your entire world and That's all the true. rules. You need to establish this is another world where weird things can happen. Yes. Um, Fair and uh, how you want your learning curve to go is really your call. I've been rereading Fire Upon the Deep. Um, his learning curve is astoundingly steep. He just mm -hmm. throws it at you. This is, you know, hard SF of the best kind, and you're going to deal. And you read the first, you know, 100 pages of that, and you say, wow, I guess I dealt. Um, and, you know, and it's, it's wonderful, it's amazing, but the learning curve is extremely steep. Other stories, the learning curve intentionally is made a little more gradual. Um, I've, I've said famously before that in the first Mistborn book, I did not show the magic in chapter one. I cut away from the character going to use the magic and cut back to that character in the city so that you knew that magic happened. And I promised you I would explain it eventually, but the magic was so complex that I wanted to wait and establish character first. Yeah, and that's, that's part of uh, one of the, the things that you do when you do that mm -hmm. is by promising that you'll answer it later. Yeah. You're also raising the question and the curiosity. Yep. Scott Card does that um, with Ender's Game. One of the things, if you look at the first page in the paperback, one of the things that's really fascinating to me is that he raises the question of the buggers mm -hmm. um, or the formics, and, and, you know, but does not explain it. But he, he mentions the word right up front. But he mentions it right after having answered another question, which gives the audience confidence that he will later answer this one. Um, I think that structurally the first page of this is really interesting. All right. Well, we are out of time. Thank you all for listening. Our writing prompt this week is going to be starting a new story. And I want you to do each of these things. I want you to give us character place. I want you to give us a um, sense of tone from the first sentence, all right? Do all of it in the first sentence. Character, place, sense of tone. And I want you to do it in 13 lines, which is how many lines someone will see on your first page. All right. This has been Ryan Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Hi, all. This is Brandon. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. I just wanted to give you a special reminder. Audible has my novella Legion up for free in audiobook. 
And so since they're a sponsor of the podcast, I thought I'd give an extra shout out to it. They actually have, if you go to www.audible.com slash Sanderson, uh, they have Legion up there. You, there's no trial. There's no strings attached. You just get it for free. So I hope you guys go get a, give it a listen if you haven't already. And you can go to audible.com slash Sanderson to download it and give it a try. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 